41 Files. I'm Casey Murray. And I'm Katherine Finnerty. We're digital producers at KSHB 41 News. Black history has deep, important roots in Kansas City that have often gone unreported. The city is home to historical sites and key figures and has played a role in nationwide issues and protests that involve Black Americans, from the Underground Railroad to the Negro Leagues to wildly successful business owners. As Black History Month comes to a close, we're taking a focused look at issues that have impacted life for Black Kansas Citians then and now. In this episode, we're going to take a look at redlining, a term that refers to discriminatory practices that result in the devaluation and disinvestment in a community, oftentimes communities of color. We'll explore what redlining looks like in Kansas City, its impact on residents who live east of Troost Avenue, which is considered the economic dividing line of the city, and those working to preserve the history of those neighborhoods. In the Kansas City neighborhood of Santa Fe, the streets are lined with quaint two-story houses made of brick and stone. Some look brand new and freshly painted, while others reflect the wear and tear of time. The Santa Fe neighborhood is a small area in East Kansas City that starts at Prospect Avenue and stretches east to Indiana Avenue. Santa Fe has been very important for uh, Kansas City and other places because of the uh, history, because of the residents who have lived in Santa Fe, because of the homes and of the size of the homes. Uh, it sets it apart. That's Marquita Taylor, the president of the Santa Fe Area Council, which represents the neighborhood. Taylor has lived there for 27 years, and doing so was an easy decision. It's a place that's truly home to her. I was raised walking distance from Santa Fe. I've been in this area for all my life. Uh, went off to school, you know, different things, came back. Uh, but I always loved the feel of neighborhoods. I always loved that. And when the house became available in Santa Fe, I, um, you know, I went with the realtor uh, agent. Well, I've got, she said, I've got several houses to show you. She showed me the house in Santa Fe. And I said, no, I don't need to look anymore. That's the one I want. But it was because of, at that time, because of the neighborhood. And that's what I, it, it gave me security because that's what I knew. The Santa Fe neighborhood has a long history in Kansas City. During segregation, Taylor described the neighborhood as the Country Club Plaza before the plaza existed. It was home to wealthy white people who were committed to living in a pristine neighborhood. Santa Fe was the first planned neighborhood in Kansas City, Missouri, according to one PBS documentary. The first residents wanted beautiful homes in an upper-middle-class neighborhood next to parks. They did not welcome Black families. And it wasn't until 1948 that... Some of the first black families moved into Santa Fe, and it was after several court cases that made that happen. As soon as that uh, court case uh, was resolved, a number of families flocked into Santa Fe, and there was a tremendous amount of white flight. It was not until after several lengthy court cases in the 1940s, including one from St. Louis that made its way to the U.S. Supreme Court, that Black residents were allowed to live south of 27th Street. Barring Black residents was written into neighborhood codes and covenants, and investment in Santa Fe, along with other prominent neighborhoods in the city, came under the condition that they remain segregated. 
1931, the Santa Fe Place neighborhood created a covenant that no real estate in Santa Fe Place could be sold, given, rented to, or occupied by black people for a period of 30 years, the African American Heritage Trail website says. And because of that history and because of that love and because of the fight to even get there, that camaraderie amongst those neighbors is still so very strong. It's it's more about how do we maintain our homes? How do we continue to provide for our community? Santa Fe is listed on the National Register of Historic Places, and that was extremely important for all of us. That history behind Santa Fe is part of why Taylor now fights to attract investment to the area and preserve its legacy. Dr. Dennis Miller, who was the superintendent of Kansas City General Hospital Color Division, according to the Kansas City Public Library, along with his wife, became the first black residents of Santa Fe in 1948. After that, some of Kansas City's most prominent and successful African-American residents moved in. The list includes Satchel Paige, a professional baseball player who played in the Negro Leagues and the Major Leagues, Buck O'Neill, a professional baseball player who became the first black coach in the major leagues, and civil rights leaders Rosemary Lowe and Reverend Wallace Hartsfield, to name a few. However, many of the white people who initially lived in the neighborhood left. While redlining first kept black people out of Santa Fe, it then devalued the neighborhood once they moved in. Redlining is the the process or the system by which um, banks and developers decided which parts of the city would be worthy of investment and lending. That's Kansas City, Missouri Health Director Marvia Jones. She has investigated the effects of redlining because of its wide-reaching impacts, including on health. But she also spoke on how it affects families trying to build wealth. Especially if there's a home on it, that has always been a means by which people in this country build wealth, and not just wealth for yourself and your current family, but the next generation as well, you know. And so... When you're living in an area where your home is valued less than it would be if it were somewhere else, that means you can't get a loan out for it to make sure the roof stays repaired and make sure that the front, the the paint isn't falling off and the gutters and making it look bad. So the value that you can get out of it if you were to sell that house, if you're not able to do that because of how um, disparately or disparately your home has been valued, you have lost a lot of wealth for not just yourself but your family. Home ownership is an important financial landmark for families in the U.S., largely because of the investment value it brings. Homes can be used as assets to secure loans, and they can be sold later, as Jones mentioned, to support other endeavors. But if a person's home is valued lower than others for unfair reasons, that can actually cause them to be stripped of the wealth they could have otherwise used to support their family. There are families that had no choice but to move out and sell their houses because they couldn't get money to fix them back up. That, you know, couldn't get anybody to invest in it because financial institutions were saying, well, that's a bad risk. There's an abandoned house across the street or over here. Why would we want to invest in something like that? And a lot of that went on. That's Taylor again. What Jones described earlier is what she's seen happen over the years in Santa Fe. Well, I'll be honest with you. The neighborhood's still being impacted by red light. Prior to uh, Black families being allowed to move into Santa Fe, absolutely redlining was there. After we've moved into Santa Fe, redlining is still in place in various ways. Redlining, though ultimately about the financial opportunities a community may be offered, spills into many other areas of social good and neighborhood building, Jones says. You know, we call it the urban core here, other places they call it inner city, whatever they call it. 
Um, that's where you see lower life expectancies. You see um, higher rates of STDs, more drug use, more overdoses, all of that. Um, and that's also the area where you can map the redlining. You know, you could also map, you know, the wealth or the, um, the net worth and value of the homes there. Um, the income levels, it, it all lays on top of each other, but it kind of goes back to whose neighborhood was seen as valuable and worth, worth, uh, worthy of investment. Um, and for a long time, one of the dividing lines of the redlining practices was truce. And so we see that same, um, those same impacts playing out. A lot has changed in Santa Fe since it was first desegregated. The homes are aging now, and after years of disinvestment, it's not what it once was. According to Taylor, the area was a food desert for 20 years. But that doesn't mean residents are giving up. And just in my 27 years, I've seen uh, tremendous change. I've seen, you know, I, I see blight, uh, crime, you know, things that are, are disturbing. But I've also seen the families who've lived here for my years, shorter and longer, who have continued to fight to um, take care of their property. Taylor knows how important holding on to those houses is, not just because of the history, but because of what it could mean for the families who live there. One of the most important things to Santa for, for us in Santa Fe is that we uh, share it with our families, this generational wealth. It absolutely is to hold on to your homes, maintain those homes, give them to your children as, as it's done in every other neighborhood. It, it uh, increases the value of your home stock. And majority of the people who have gone on to uh, bigger and better uh, roles had a base. They had real estate to start. She's worked to get people to pay attention to what's happened in the area. And finally, she says, she feels the tide's turning. Because of a one-eighth cent sales tax in Kansas City, Missouri, Taylor said that a million dollars has been allotted to do repairs in the Santa Fe neighborhood, as well as major renovations on Linwood and Prospect Avenues. Taylor said that in the next year, Kansas Cityans will see a lot of new development in the area because of the sales tax money, which will last for the next 10 years. We expect to kick off our first home uh, renovation in the, at the end of March is the date that I said, you know, we've got all the pieces in place, hire the general contractors, but we're also very excited about an opportunity to do something major in our neighborhood and be a model for others. So we're breaking the redlining uh, cycle. Even outside of the city, she said she feels like she's found more allies who see the value of the neighborhood and area financial institutions have stepped in to help financially. Of course, Taylor also made clear that the neighborhood hasn't just been waiting around for help, though they are thankful help has finally arrived. No longer are people just going in and shutting the door and just going back and forth to work. No, we're seeing families say, no, I, 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 what do you need me to do? I'll help with the neighborhood cleanup. I'll walk the streets, you know, cleaning up trash. Or I will um, work with the team to work with a particular house that we're having issues with. What do you need us to do? For Taylor, watching the neighborhood foster that community feel that initially made her fall in love with the area has been beautiful and exciting. Plus to her, these investments keep something special intact, something that can be passed on. It's important for our kids to understand the importance of what neighborhoods 
used to be about when I was young. You could go outside and play, you know. So as the street light came on, you could come home, you felt safe. Trying to bring some of that back to the neighborhood. Thank you so much for listening to part two of our special series for Black History Month on systemic problems and Black-owned businesses in Kansas City. To listen to more of our Black History Month content, go to kshb.com slash blackhistorymonth. David Medina contributed to reporting and producing the story.